LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. All right, everybody, it is Steve the Rogue Scholar, and we're going to go down a lane that I hope you all will stick with me on. We are having an RP Live on April 4th with none other than author and academic Clara Matei, someone who I found tremendous value in not only her vision, but her work. And I wanted to just make a point of something. I have a book by Michael Hudson right here. Michael Hudson's one of the people that spoke out on Clara's behalf, uh, spoke out on the fact that capital, capitalism, right? Michael Hudson, capitalism, finance, capitalism, industrial capitalism. Um, for some reason, this creates problems for people. And unfortunately, I'm not going to go down that road of splicing terms and if you can't google it it's of no value because that's how we get information and so i'm going to talk about her book a little bit clara Matei's the capital order how economists invented austerity and paved the way to fascism but before i jump too far into my discussion on this because it's not just about her book it's about the whole thrust and and focus of this stuff so I'm going to come here to a, um, I'm going to go into a, uh, what do you call it? A, um, let's not do that. That didn't work out the way I wanted it. So let's go ahead and put me back in there. I'm not sure what's going on. There we go. All right. Nope. Wrong way again. So let's drop it down. This, this new system is kind of weird, but I'm going to show you guys, hopefully what I'm talking about. And that right here is this write-up of Clara Matei's book. And this is uh, by Thomas Pickett. He says, a must-read with key lessons for the future, groundbreaking examination of austerity's dark and intellectual origins. Okay. I'm just going to read this. I want you guys to get a copy of this book. It's worth its weight, I believe. I think it's worth the time. It's, it was a fantastic read, in my opinion. Um, it says, for more than a century, governments facing financial crisis have resorted to the economic policies of austerity, cuts to wages, fiscal spending, and public benefits as a path to solvency. While these policies have been successful in appeasing creditors, they've had a devastating effect on social and economic welfare in countries all over the world. Today, as austerity remains a favored policy among troubled states, an important question remains. What if solvency was never really the goal? Okay. Capital order, political economist Clara E. Matei explores the intellectual origins of austerity to uncover its originating motives, the protection of cap the protection capital, and indeed capitalism in times of social upheaval from below. Matei traces modern keywords, not all austerity, modern austerity to its origins in interwar Britain and Italy, revealing how the threat of working class power in the years after World War I 
animated a set of top-down economic policies that elevated owners, smothered workers, imposed a rigid economic hierarchy across societies. Where these policies succeeded, relatively speaking, was in the enrichment of certain parties, including employers and foreign trade interests who accumulated power and capital at the expense of labor. Here, Matei argues, is where the true value of austerity can be observed. It's insulation of entrenched privilege and it's elimination of all alternatives to capitalism. Drawing on newly uncovered archival material from Britain and Italy, much of it translated for the first time, the capital order offers a damning and essential new account of the rise of austerity and of modern economics at the levers of contemporary political power. Now, I want you to see this. James Galbraith is an MMTer. James Galbraith is also somebody who is valued in the MMT space. I want you to read this. A work with remarkable resonance for the moment we are living through. I found it impossible to put down. Now, his name is Dr. James K. Galbraith. And then here is Robert Skidelsky. Skidelsky, he's a knight in Europe. He, he, uh, he says, Clara Matei shows how the supposedly apolitical science of economics has served and continues to serve as an ideology of class oppression. The chapters exploring the, Brit the birth in Britain and Italy in the 1920s of what the author calls the technocratic project of austerity and its political and economic consequences are particularly illuminating. Now, let me just say this for the record. Robert Skidelsky was at the first MMT conference in 2017, courtesy of all the bigs and the Modern Money Network, who invited Skidelsky there to speak. And, of course, we have Mark Blythe, who is not an MMTer, but he says, a decade after austerity tore British society apart, the UK government stands ready to do so again. Given that it didn't work the first time around, one wonders why they might want to try it again. This is where Matei's explanation illuminates brightly. If we think of austerity not as an economic policy, but as a form of what capitalist crisis management for moments when the lower orders start to question the governing classes, preferences, then its repeated dosage, despite its damages, make more sense. Now, let's go back through this. The Irish exam, these aren't necessarily that important to me, but Adam Tews, Adam Tews is someone that most MMTers look to and lean on and say, wow, this guy's got it going on. Let me tell you what he says. He says, brilliantly provocative, powerfully argued with her history of the relationship between liberal economists and fascism. Matei puts the skids under, a compla under complacent champions of liberal democracy who today summon the fascist figure as a reassuring boogeyman, a roundhouse critique of the role of liberal economics in general, okay? And, and there's more, okay? You can go through here and you can look at more of them. The fact of the matter is, and this is, this is what I want you to get from what I'm saying here. The fact of the matter is, is that in the end, we have sadly experienced what I consider to be a dumbing down of the population, a huge push, okay? to ignore facts like this that don't, uh -huh. that really, quite frankly, don't 
resonate with people. The, the word austerity seems to be a challenge. Everybody's so willing to talk about war. They're willing to talk about gun violence. God, we have another shooting, right? And they would say that the most deaths occur from gun violence. I would counter that austerity is the lethal killer, the most lethal killer we face. The most lethal killer we face. And I would say point blank that the reason why austerity is in play is exactly as Clara states, exactly as the reviews state, exactly. It is there to protect the people, the power elite, to make sure that they're always on top and to make sure that when the people down below start sniffing around and realizing it's bullshit, that there's nothing but vice grips to keep them from re reclaiming their lives, to keep them oppressed, to keep them struggling and down, okay? Now, I'm going to share some more stuff here as we go through this. Let's go back to it. I hope this helps you guys. I hope this is worth your time because it's worth it to me. So if you go out here, you can buy this book, obviously, okay? But what I want you to see is that on April 4th, April 4th right here, we have Clara Matei joining us and what we call an RP Live, okay? RP Live is in essence the equivalent of just a monthly webinar that we do uh, on subjects of interest. But this is preceding a book club that will be coming around the week after, uh, shortly thereafter, I should say. So let me just say this. If you guys want, here is the click on this. You can register. And when you go there, it takes you to a Zoom and you register yourself and boom, you're in there. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and drop this into the thing. It, I mean, I'm bypassing uh, some of the other stuff here, just going straight to the Zoom and hoping that you guys will join us. All right. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to go ahead and close this out. And I'm going to get back to me. And what I've been struggling with here is that we don't have good terms for economics that we don't understand. We don't have good terms for what's happening around us. And most people can't boil down what's happening to us in bite-sized chunks, small enough that people will stick around long enough to understand. And this is super important. I mean, when I say super important, I mean, this is super important. As a result of us not being able to quickly and clearly analyze the things that are happening to us, when you try to explain to a normie, hey, this is austerity, you're about to make people really suffer. I don't care if it's your favorite Joe Biden. I don't care if it's Donald Trump. I don't care who it is. What they're doing is called austerity, and austerity is murder. And Claire Matei breaks it down into three chunks. She talks about the interest rate hikes. Well, we're experiencing part one of the capital order clamping down. Anybody that says don't pay attention to the capital order, with all due respect, no matter how smart you might think you are, you're screwing the pooch, okay? You're screwing the fucking pooch. The reality is, is that there are people out there, there are entire affinity groups out there that have massive control 
over not only the system, but actually our governments. And by that, let's, let's take a look at what people like, I don't know, Mariana Mazzucato, who's another MMT capital person, okay? Mariana Mazzucato just put out a book here recently, and it's really putting out the big con, the big myth, the myth about consultants and the over-consulting of America, okay? And what has happened? Let me just be clear. The wealthy in these K Street lobby firms come in and do the bidding. They create the laws. They create the bills. They do all this stuff, and they hand it to our politicians. Our politicians aren't smart. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They couldn't econ their way out of a paper bag. Most of them are running from meeting to meeting, and they might have a little three-by-five card or a little note from their handlers telling them what to say in the next meeting. They don't know from one end to the other what they're saying. That's why it cracks me up when people hang on every word that AOC says or so-and-so says. These people, they're being run by other people. They're not their own animal. Okay? And the lobbyists, these experts, these consultants that are pumping out this kind of stuff, these people have more control over your and my life than you will ever know. The real war happens outside of politics because it's industry bringing the laws to the politicians. It's industry saying this is how it should go. Now, we had Ron Gray on here recently, and we also had Raul Carrillo on here recently, as they've both been heavily involved in trying to help build out the infrastructure and the rules and laws that control the potential of a central bank digital currency, okay? So with that, with that in mind, we know full well that the government is being advised and controlled by moneyed interests, period. You have no way of telling me that the reason you don't have health care is because people don't want health care. The reason we don't have health care is because consultants and industry don't want us to have health care. And the government kowtows to gov these things because, in essence, the government has been captured. Now, captured by whom? The lobby firms? Who is the lobby firms represent? What are their class interests? They represent the Lollipop Guild, no, they represent, 100% represent capital, the ownership class, the wealthy. They do not represent you and I. And our government doesn't respond to you and I. They respond to them. Because these feckless, hapless fools that you will spend countless hours phone banking for that you'll spend countless dollars donating to, that you will put more miles on your sketchers, door knocking for them. And in reality, they're being represented by consultants who are writing the bills they champion. We have seen time and again when there's big collapses in the economy, like 2008, 9, 10 collapse that we saw 
with the mortgage industry. That was corruption. And it was corruption from Wall Street to K Street to Congress to the White House to every aspect of government, the Treasury, you name it. If that's, if you want to tell me that the economy is nothing more than laws and contracts, I would tell you how much say so did you have in the creation of that law that you're now held to? I would suggest less than zero. You have almost no impact whatsoever on any of the laws, but yet you will march with your freaking arms. As you go to door knock for progressive candidate A. And when they go to write bills, they will go to industry leaders in K Street suites of lobbyists and they will produce their bill. That's it. That's it. It's not coming out of their brains. It's not coming out of their hearts as they just want to help the people. That's not what they're doing. And that's not. What's happening? So the idea that the economy is just a series of legal arrangements, contracts, and this, that, and the other is ridiculously naive, okay? See, there's things that happen. I, joking around, talking with Warren Mosler, he said way back that there are things that are happening in dark, smoky rooms. Yeah. Shady deals, yeah. I'm going to be talking to Bill Black on Friday about a regulatory environment for banks. Guess what? Bill Black seems to believe that the corruption and the complete and utter abdication of representing the people is a real thing. That the stuff that we're witnessing isn't representing we the people. So where do we get this idea that the laws and contracts are just a series of things we enter into? Folks, there are the haves and there are the have-nots. And the haves control the universe, control the world. The laws that are created are created not by the have-nots, but by the haves. And they're created by the haves to prevent the have-nots from having a bite of cake, from having health care, from having their student debt removed, from having all that. So if you go back to that three-pronged attack of austerity that Clara Matei puts out there, interest rate hikes, what are interest rate hikes intended to do? Interest rate hikes are intended doesn't mean they'll happen, intended to quote-unquote create, you know, a anti-inflationary condition based on killing the economy, based on tightening credit, based on ultimately creating the conditions for recession, and by extension, layoffs, which is the other part of the, tr the trinity, if you will, of austerity. The layoff. They want to make sure that they can lay people off because they consider laying people off the ultimate inflation killer. 
And then the last one is cutting off the spigot from the federal government, from the federal government spending on the people. So we've got a three-pronged attack. I don't care if this model was created in 1647. I don't care if it was created in 1712. I don't care if it was created in 1899 or the year 2023. Clara Matei's book says that it became institutionalized as a direct pushback to the Bolshevik revolution. And what they realized was a crisis of capital. Now, if you read anything about FDR, you know that FDR was aware of this. If you read anything about John Maynard Keynes, you know that he was aware of this. If you read Churchill, you know that he was already suckling up to Mussolini. It doesn't take a lot. But if you are very esoteric and have the desire to go back to the late 1700s, 1780s and so, and look up Rousseau, you can find some things about Rousseau that might inform your idea of what capitalism is and modes of production and this, that, and the other, which if you go and listen to David Wengro and the late David Graeber, you can learn about it as well, which is one book amongst a myriad of books. And the myriad of books speak directly to a term called capitalism. You can call it anything you like. I know that it gets some people in a bunch because it isn't, I understand the why. First of all, governments are in control. Even if they cede control, it's an illusion. They could have control. They've made a decision to basically give up control to the moneyed interests. Now, I don't know what kinds of dirt they have on these politicians or dirt they have, or if it's even a ruse that they even need dirt for. Maybe they just step in, like AOC was standing on a desk one minute talking with the extinction uh, rebellion and the um, sunrise movement and this, that, and the other. And the next minute she's over there, you know, cuddling up to mama bear, feckless and useless at that point. I don't know what changed from A to B or if it was always a ruse, doesn't matter. In the end, the capital order wins once again. The green dream, think about Nancy Pelosi mocking the green new deal. Why would a quote unquote Democrat, you fuckers that push blue and shit like that, why would a Democrat call it the green dream or whatever? That's a loser crap you're talking about. That's a vote blue no matter who, a blue wave. Blue, vote, vote them, vote blue. Green dream, whatever. That's your vote blue. The green dream. Okay? Trash, garbage, worthlessness, disgraceful evil, repulsive, the green dream. As she's sitting there in front of her twin sub Z's eating some sherbet or whatever the fuck ever rich people do in front of their twin sub Z's. I'm here to tell you in the end, it's not hard to see. Whatever you want to call it, the powers that be have elicited or have reached out to our government and said, hey, can you do us a solid? And they have made sure that the lives of regular people are absolutely like running from an ax. Running from an ax. And 
as long as you got a little teeny distance between you and the axe and you see somebody else behind you getting whacked, you feel like you've got a little time. You feel like you're okay. You're doing pretty good for yourself. A lot of people, though, are like right there in line with the chop. And a bunch of people are getting laid off already right now. Interest rate hikes were intended to create unemployment. There's no, there's no impact. The interest rates aren't creating unemployment at this point. In fact, the interest rates are one of the weird channels that are allowing the economy to stay afloat by putting new money in up at the top. Trickle-down economics have talked about it countless times. But ultimately, layoffs are really beginning. Disney laying off, I think it's like 10,000 people. Meta laying off 10,000 people. Twitter laid off half their workforce. Google laying people off. Silicon Valley laying tons of people off. That's just one side. And I think they're trying to get ahead of the thing, knowing what's coming. This is austerity. This is the work of the capital order. This is that work. This is exactly what Clara Matei spoke to. And, and you ask yourself, why is this in any way, shape, or form controversial to understand? There is no evidence whatsoever that raising interest rates up stops inflation. There's no evidence whatsoever. The thing is, is that when Volcker did it, Volcker did it up to like 20-some percent in, inflation, uh, interest rates. He literally killed the economy. Volcker was the Fed chief back during the oil crisis of the 1970s, okay? So if you don't know who Paul Volcker is, look him up. Volcker is a pretty evil guy, okay? Pretty, pretty wicked man, right? So when I try and tell people that austerity is murder, they look at me with a twisted head. They can't fathom it. Because first of all, the word austerity is not commonplace in the United States, but we're going to normalize austerity here. I'm going to keep beating that horse until people pick up on it, right? But in Europe, they know what austerity is, okay? You saw whenever the IMF goes to these small countries and offers them loans, what do they institute? They call them structural adjustments. What is that otherwise known as? Liberalization of markets and austerity. They impose austerity measures like they did in Greece. They impose austerity measures like they did throughout Africa. They impose austerity measures wherever the good hand of the United States through the IMF, the World Bank, World Trade Organization, and NATO go. This is the deal. That's the deal. The Democrats are in on it. Sorry, friends out there that just can't break free and can't see them for what they are. The Democrats are austerians, and so are the Republicans. Because they're one party of capitalists fighting over who's got better bedside manners as the Republicans go full, crazy, turfy, attacking anyone that's not straight and white. And the Democrats, they'll sit there and play that, uh, you know, the identity politics game all the way while imposing austerity wherever they go.
when people get laid off from jobs, what is one of the things that they do? Let's let's see if I can look this up. Let's let's go out here and see if somehow or another we can look this up. I want to see if we can find something on this. Let's let's see what we can do here. I'm going to Google this, or I'm going to look it up, I should say. And I'm going to say, um, layoffs and see if there's anything here. December 5th, 2022. Okay. I mean, they've got a bunch of, but I don't know what they're saying here. So let's, let's see what happens. Oh, no, let's just go right here. It's easier. One in five suicides. One in five suicides caused by unemployment, but the lead up to layoff hurts most. Well, that's 2015. So this isn't a new thought here, is it, folks? It's not a new thought at all, is it? Why do you suppose people still think the only way people die is by gunshot? Why, why, I want to know why people can't recognize the single greatest killer is austerity. And this is old, but you know, just because I'm looking at this, I'm, I'm, I have no idea what I'm getting. I just, I randomly did a search and here we are. I'm just going to read this. It says an important study that examines the social cost of 2008 banking crisis and the economic recession it created has just been published. The analysis carried out by Carlos Nort and colleagues at University of Zurich explored the link between increases in rates of unemployment and suicide. Oh my goodness, look at this. They attribute 45,000 or one in five suicides a year worldwide to unemployment with a further 5,000 deaths caused by the economic crisis. Suicide is a complex event that result of the interaction between number of potential factors, blah, 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 blah. You can go through and look this stuff up. I, I, I just wanted to go through here and see. Let's, let's see if we can find something else here. Let's try something else a little bit again. Let's say um, austerity is social murder. Not mud, social murder. Let's look at that. Let's see what happens. Well, David Fields, who we just had on not too long ago, wrote this. Um, but here, let's look at the Science Daily. Oh, shit, this is like a peer-reviewed article and whatnot, isn't it? Austerity results in social murder, according to new research. Well, this is done by Lancaster University. It says, the consequence of austerity in the social security system, severe cuts to benefits, and the ratcheting up of conditions attached to benefits is social murder, according to research. Okay? They go through here, and I want to see if they get a number here. It says, uh, critical social policy, Dr. Grover gives examples of where Social Security austerity has led to a range of harms. An additional six suicide for every 10,000 work capability assessments done. Increasing number of people in Britain dying of malnutrition. Increasing number of homeless people dying in the streets or in hostels. Uh, let's see. I know there's more than this, so let's see if we can do it let's try one more thing here maybe this uh, uh social murder emergence i think it was like oh 
austerity, hundred hundred thousand. I know the numbers like a hundred thousand deaths or something like that. Ah, here we go. Now this is just in Britain. Okay, landmark study links Tory austerity to 120,000 deaths. Government is accused of economic murder. Okay, now let's see here. That's just with what they're finally doing. Gun deaths. Ninety-eight hundred people are killed in three months. So if we multiply, this is not to diminish this, but three months into twenty twenty-three, let's say it's ten thousand killed by guns every three months. That's forty thousand. Let's see if I had something else here. Hundred and twenty thousand extra deaths. So you know, I, I'm just spitballing here, folks. It seems austerity might be an important thing for us to to kind of get our head wrapped around, huh? It seems like maybe we should stop treating economics as just some other thing people talk about. It might be time to look at the anti-war movement that is so bold and brave and brash in there. We're anti-war. How could you not be? When you look and you realize that austerity is a global sanction on working class people because austerity here creates austerity abroad. Interest rate hikes here create interest rate hikes around the world. Cost of credit increases. Their whole world suffers from our interest rate hikes, from our austerity. It impacts the globe. It's not just in your backyard. Why? Why don't we talk? about the capital order and, more importantly, austerity, and why don't people talk about how we could fix that? Now, obviously, let me just say this for the record. If you believe, as I do, that elections are not going to, um, in some way, shape, or form, solve the problem, if that's, if that's what you believe, and I believe that, by the way, then you know that at the end of the day, getting people to recognize this shit, it's going to radicalize them. It's not going to necessarily rush them to the voting booth to suddenly vote for somebody that's not going to do anything for them. But it will radicalize and hopefully open their eyes to the murder that your government is doing not only domestically but internationally. And if you think we're living on the edge, imagine countries that don't have the things they need, okay? Hold on. Well, I like this. Hold on. Let, let's, let's bring this. This is actually a great point. Could it be that a large amount of the gun deaths are brought about by the human suffering created by austerity? Brother, you said a mouthful. That is the winner, winner, chicken dinner. That is exactly what it is. The oppression, the alienation, the severe cuts, the lack of hope, the extreme conditions. Some people are doing okay. And I got to tell you, 
There are some assholes, and they're of the libertarian variety, typically, that run around there and say, shut up and get a job. They're, they think they're cool by being, like, how much of a douche fuck can I be? How much of a worthless piece of shit can I be and treat people like dog shit? And act like the real, just go get a job. Shut the fuck up. You don't need health care. Fuck you. I, I watch this stuff all the time. All the time. These worthless piles of shit say this stuff. And you present that we could do something different. You present that it doesn't have to be this way. And they don't care. They would rather people die than be perceived as giving a handout when you could create citizens' fucking benefits so that all of them get it. And it's not a handout. But no, these shit for brains, they feel it's more cool to be edgy. They would rather be an edgelord shitting on people than actually think about how to make the world a better place. This is why when I saw libertarians going out there for this anti-war stuff, I realized in that moment how misguided people are to think that the very people that prop up austerity as murder, the very people that would push austerity on you and us, the very people that would rather cut government spending and cut everything, the very people that want make government so small you could drown it in a bathtub, those same people are committing war. If you believe sanctions are an act of war, austerity is sanctions on the American people. It's sanctions on you and I. If you believe that and you understand that, and I believe it with all my heart, then how in the world can you call them anti-war? They're being anti-state. And if the state gives you a loaf of bread, they're against it. If the state goes to war, they're against it. If the state opens up a school, they're against it. If the state paves a road, they're against it. So naturally, if the state outlaws marijuana, which, by the way, is stupid as fuck, but they're going to naturally be against it, not because they're pro-people having whatever. It's because they hate the state. Never confuse their intentions. Never confuse their motives. So I'm going to go back, and I want to see if I can pull this up because, nah, no, I won't. I'll just skip it. I'll just tell you this. There are groups out there, look this up in your spare time, the Pete Peterson Foundation. Most people don't think about the Pete Peterson Foundation because it's not the sort of thing that ends up on Rachel Maddow. And it's certainly not the thing that you see on alt media because they don't focus on economics. Why? Because they don't know economics. So they say edgy things like, when the dollar dies and the petrodollar and world reserve currencies and shit like that. When they fucking talk, they talk, huh? The Jews, I've said this so many times, I'm going to keep beating that fucking horse until it sticks. They've got every trope under the sun that fits on a bumper sticker, and it's full of shit, and it's a lie, and it's misleading thousands, if not millions of people. Millions of people, we need to be focused on the correct things so that we actually have a chance to fight back. Okay? The capital order is large and in charge. You look at Davos. You look around the world at the economic forums 
at these different pristine groups of industry leaders that talk about policy. And they use a sound finance, meaning hard money. They think that money is like this thing like gold and silver and that we got to dig more out of the ground and stuff like that. They don't understand and they choose not to understand that we use the power of fiat 24 by 7 by 365 to fatten the war machine, to fill up the coffers of big finance, finance capital, finance capitalism, Michael Hudson, financial capitalism, Michael Hudson, not Steve, Michael. And you think to yourself, what is it going to fucking take? What is it going to take to realize that we're dying far more, larger numbers from austerity than AR-15s? Now, mind you, I don't own a gun. But I recognize neoliberalism is a mental disease. I want you... I am going to share this. Fuck it. I am going to share it. Hold on. So let me get this up here real quickly. Let's, let's go ahead and see if we can share this now. Too many, too many uh, tabs open, it looks like. Aha, there we go. Now we're good. Now we're sitting up. So if you guys see this, which I'm going to show you right now, this right here is not the tab I wanted. Let's go ahead and open up the right tab. George Mombiat, neoliberalism is creating loneliness. That's what's wrenching society apart. Ed epidemics of mental illness are crushing the minds and bodies of millions. It's time to ask where we are heading and why. Folks, October 2016, okay? Like what greater indictment of a system could there be than an epidemic of mental illness, yet plagues of anxiety, stress, depression, social phobia, eating disorders, self-harm, loneliness, now strike people down all over the world. What, I wonder what this says. Let's see what this says. Open link a new tab. Let's see what this is. The global prevalence of common mental disorders, a systemic review and meta-analysis. Okay. They go through it here. I'm not going to obviously go through that. I don't know enough about it, so I'm not going to try and plunge down. But it's in this. It's in this. Let me go ahead and copy this and put it into the chat for you guys to look at. Anyway, so as you're looking at this, it says there are plenty of secondary reasons for distress, but it seems to me that the underlying cause everywhere is the same. Human beings, the ultra-social mammals, whose brains are wired to respond to other people being peeled apart. Economic and technological change play a major role, but so does ideology. 
through our well-being, though our well-being is inextricably linked to the lives of others everywhere, we are told that we will prosper through competitive self-interest and extreme individualism. Let's see what that's all about. Ah, yes, I remember this one. I think. Let's see if it didn't screw me out here. Let's close that. Close this. Let's close this. Too many pop-ups. Yes. Neoliberalism is the ideology at the root of all of our problems. Another George Mombiat. I can get this one in there too. So, you know, when I'm looking at these things and I'm asking myself, why is it that I can guarantee I can go onto anyone's alt media and listen to them wax poetic about a bunch of things that have nothing to do with what we're talking about now. Why is it that I can pretty much guarantee that won't be what they're talking about? So pervasive has neoliberalism become that we seldom even recognize it as an ideology. We appear to accept the proposition that this is utopian, millenarian faith describes a neutral force, a kind of biological law like Darwin's theory of evolution, but the philosophy arose as a conscious attempt to reshape human life and lift the lo shift the locus of power. Neoliberalism sees competition as the defining characteristic of human relations. It redefines citizens as consumers whose democratic choices are best exercised by buying and selling, a process that rewards merit and punishes punishes inefficiency, as in death, folks. It maintains that the market delivers benefits that could never be achieved by planning. Attempts to limit competition are treated as inimical to liberty. Tax and regulation should be minimized. Public services should be privatized. The organization of labor and collective bargaining by trade unions are portrayed as market distortions that impede the formation of a natural hierarchy of winners and losers. Inequality is recast as virtuous, a reward for utility and of all the generator of wealth, which trickles down to everyone. Efforts to create a more equal society are both counterproductive and morally corrosive. The market ensures that everyone gets what they deserve. And I could go through this the whole way through. And I want to be crystal clear. I want to be crystal clear. I have really found myself to be desperate for a tribe, to be desperate for a home base, to be desperate for friends that are not busy running off chasing people that don't understand econ, that are busy fucking finding a way to make this solid fist against austerity. Because austerity is what creates the conditions in these small developing countries as well. It's the very nature that forces the IMF's hand through U.S. intervention to go in and offer something that they can't refuse. Think about Thomas Sankara. He basically told the IMF, listen, we can either pay your debt or we can live because if we pay your debt, we'll die. See, in the end, We've allowed dummies, economic illiterates, to tell the tale. And we've allowed society to be dumbed down by government that wants us stupid and not to understand how this stuff works. And we have our own peer group who sit there like a flock of fucking dung flies, 
going to the worst alt media outlets so they can hear nonsense about the petrodollar. Not understanding that the country, like Japan, doesn't have a petrodollar, doesn't have a petro yen, okay? And yet Japan has a 300 to 1 debt to GDP ratio. At some point, you, you want to do your best Arnold imitation and go, Uzi 9 millimeter. Because they're murdering people. The fake lies, the bullshit about economics, the fucking, we can't afford it. Oh, if you spend money, it'll cause inflation. All this stuff, these lies meant to keep us desperate and completely unhealthy. This is the capital order. And you notice as AI comes in and starts writing papers and <laughs> hell, editing podcasts through AI, editing video through AI, writing books with AI, manufacturing plants with robotics and AI. We don't need you and I to be all that smart because the smarter we are, the more we're willing to fight back on these economic issues. But they're doing their dead level best to dumb us the fuck down so that we won't resist, so that we'll just go with the capital order and think, well, of course, the reason why I'm screwed is because I just didn't do the right things. I made all these mistakes in my life and I want to raise my kids so they don't make the same mistakes I made. We, our lives are one big giant mistake eraser. Our whole life we're chased after for the mistakes we made yesterday. It's all a ruse to fucking keep us down. We're undeserving. Everything's our fault. And if you haven't already decided to kill yourself because you think everything's your fault, then they'll take away your money. They'll create layoffs. And then, maybe then, we'll have population control because you'll go ahead and hang yourself in the backyard too. I'm infuriated by people that distract from this austerity narrative. The people that distract from this narrative are ensuring people die. Call them innocent dupes, whatever. But there's a saying, Lead, follow, or get the fuck out of the way. And if you're leading and you're not leading and explaining austerity and explaining fiscal austerity and the way the governments lie to you about national debt and deficits and all the other crap they use to make you believe that those things we need, not want, need, are unattainable because they're just too expensive. And they implant the stupid idea that it's taxpayer dollars. So every fucking conservative and every one of the investor grade fuckers say, well, you're not taking my hard earned tax dollars. See, everybody, oh, they're taking taxpayer money and using it for Donald Trump's golf thing. They think they're owning someone. Reality is they're reinforcing the very fucking tool, the austerity narrative and the capital order are pushing on us. 
They are inadvertently putting the knife to our throat every fucking time some shit fuck says taxpayer money, taxpayer dollars, the taxpayers paid for it. Every single fucking time. There's a, uh, a great paper out there by Raul Carrillo, who I interviewed a few weeks back, and Jesse Meyerson. Probably uh, three or four years old, but it's still worth it. And it's called The Dangerous Myth of Taxpayer Money. Margaret Thatcher went out there famously and said, there is no such thing as public money. There is only taxpayer money. Now, I want you to think about this. We're going to stay here for just a second. Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan were two birds of the same feather. They were both king and queen neoliberal, and they were both the kings and queens of austerity. They purposely destroyed labor. They purposely destroyed the public purpose. They began the mass privatizations, union busting, everything that is wrong with society started under Jimmy Carter, but was carried forward with Ronald Reagan. And they realized during this slash and burn period, they still needed to get money into the economy. They still needed to pay their friends. So what did they do? They reinvested massive money into the military industrial complex. Okay, so let's, let's, let's take five seconds here and just do this real quick. Krona Ursa. <clears throat> she says, or he says, I'm sorry, I don't know which it is. How do you clear and concise explain to people that how taxes don't fund the government? So governments are the owner of the patent of the U.S. dollar. The government creates the money, period. So in order for us to have the money, the government had to spend it into existence first. So it's spend first, tax later. Okay. The government, by extension, is the owner of the dollar. The government has no need for money. It creates it out of thin air every time it spends. So when the federal government spends money on a program, spends money on the military, spends it on anything, it's creating new money. It's spending into the economy. And when they issue a tax, it's pulling money out of the economy and deleting it. Every dollar the government spends is brand new. Every dollar it taxes is deleted and purged and shredded and done. Okay, so government is the owner of the legal unit of account, an inch or a pound, that's a dollar, and it does it so it can provision itself. In other words, we need a bridge, we need a whatever. There's an old story of the money story, and it goes back, I tell it the way I tell it, so I'm going to say it similar to what Warren Mosler says, but ultimately, the dollar is a tax credit. Currency is a tax credit, okay? The government says, hey, I want to build a road. I want to build an aqueduct. I want to build a standing army. Will you do this for me, Citizen A? And they say, uh, no, I think I'm going to go hang out and play with my kids. So government comes back and says, well, short of slavery, how about I give you this gold coin? Will you go build me a road? Will you go build me an aqueduct? Will you give me what, do whatever? Person says, what am I going to do with this gold coin? No, I think I'll pass. I think I'm going to continue fishing in my lake and 
doing whatever. Government comes back and says, I tell you what, we're going to put 10 coin tax on your house. In order for you to keep your house, you've got to pay 10 of these gold coins. The guy goes, well, hey, where do I get those gold coins? Ah, funny you should say that. We're trying to build an army over here. We're trying to build an aqueduct. We're trying to build a roadway. I'll give you 50 gold coins if you do this work. Shit, yeah, I'll sign up and do it right away. So now the imposition of a tax created demand for the currency. By that imposition of a tax, the government didn't need that money. The government's creating it out of thin air. Okay? The government could have said, these twigs with my scratch marks on it is your currency. Will you do it for this piece of twig with, a, with scratch marks on it? They go, no. How about if I say you need 10 of these twigs with my scratch marks on it or you lose your home? Sign me up. Where do I go for it? Taxes don't fund spending. The government funds taxpayers who then in turn exchange their money for to pay taxes that they owe. And the tax liability is not a funding operation. They don't reuse that money ever. That money is there simply to get you to do the thing that the government wants you to do. It's a coercive force. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. Doesn't fit on a bumper sticker, but that's the story. Anyway, with that, I hope you guys have picked up a little bit about the austerity narrative. Fact is, is that austerity is a lie. We don't need to do it. We have public money that can do whatever we need. The point is, why won't they do it? And the reason they won't do it is because capital needs us broke and incapable of making different choices because they want to buy our labor up at the cheapest rate possible. They want to have control over society and control over the real resources. And if we have too much and if we're too smart, we can take it back from them. We can have different ideas and that would stifle what they're trying to do. Anyway, I am Steve Grumbine. Today's show is just one of many. I do a Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon. And on Saturdays, I release a podcast. We release a podcast called Macro and Cheese. Uh, please, by all means, become a donor. Please like and follow our freaking YouTube channel, man. Most of you guys, I look and check. Most of you guys aren't subscribers. Freaking subscribe. Hit the bell. Turn it on. Let's get it going on. And with that, my name is Steve Grumbine. I am the Rogue Scholar, and I am out of here. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts, please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the Real Progress in Action YouTube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org.